Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. My name is Corey Kleinsasser, and I'm the senior pastor of Wade Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. Today we're experimenting with something new. Now in the past, you've probably listened to the Sermon Podcast and the Conversations Podcast, but today we're trying out a new podcast with a new format, the Wade Park Church Stories Podcast. The reason we're doing this is because we believe testimony is one of the best ways to grow our faith. Through testimonies, we get to know our church community. We also get to see how God works in other people's lives and hopefully are encouraged and challenged. Now, we've done testimonies on Sunday morning, and we hope to continue to do that. But during this podcast, we're not limited to telling our story in five minutes, so we can see God's work not just in a particular moment, but all throughout life. We're also experimenting with a new format that will hopefully be engaging and bring out important themes in the people's story. We hope you enjoy listening and invite your feedback by emailing podcast at waitparkchurch.org. Those of us who have been believers for a while can sometimes have a tendency to forget the power of Christ to change lives. Some of this is due to the fact that we're comfortable with the people in our circle and often don't take the time to get to know other people's stories. We see them at worship service and share a smile, and we assume that everything has always been put together for them. But because we don't take the time to invite them into relationship, we don't realize where God has brought them. But when we're willing to dig a little deeper, we get to see the power of God to bring life out of despair. That's the conversation we're having today. Meet Allison Bowie. 28 years ago, we lived in the little white house across the alley. And one of your parishioners, uh, Leah Sly, she invited me to the mom's group. And that was just wonderful. And I was part of that for a while. My husband and I did come over and um, attend service. We didn't stick with the church, which now we regret. Looking back, we think it would have been really nice for our family to be in this um, sort of congregation that's very supportive, an open congregation. We did a lot of church hopping. I grew up unchurched, and I was looking for a church that would not challenge me too much, and I could tell that this church would challenge me. I knew that if I became part of this church, I was going to have to change a lot of things in my life, and I wasn't ready for that. It would take a few years, but eventually, Allison came back. About a year and a half ago, I came back and attended service really enjoyed it, but still didn't have the courage to say to my husband, we need to go to this church. Summer of 2020, Allison learned that we were having church in the park and decided it was time to invite her husband, Tom. Yeah, I um, said to my husband, church is going to become part of my habit, and I really like this church. They have a church in the park program next week. I would love it if you came with me. 
Not surprisingly, Tom agreed. Well, my husband came, and he absolutely loved it. I think he was a little sick of all my church hopping, looking for something that was not going to challenge me. He loved the church just as much as I did. And we have been either watching online or coming to church ever since. My name's Allison Bowie, and things to know about me is that I'm a grateful and recovering alcoholic. I've been sober for seven years. It's hard to be sober. It's not something that I'm proud of. It's something that I'm grateful for. There was definitely hard work in the beginning, and there's constant maintenance to keep up spiritual maintenance, but I am grateful. That is what I feel is gratitude because I know that my sobriety is a gift from God. Anyone who knows about addiction knows there are typically reasons why someone becomes an alcoholic. Allison is no exception. My childhood was challenging. My parents were 15 and 18 when they got married. They stayed married until my father passed. Uh, it'll be two years, April 6th. And my father had a difficult life. And he passed that on to us. And yet, even though he passed on to us a lot of um, the pain that he felt, he did better than his parents did. He could have abandoned us, which is what both of his parents did. He spent his life being shuttled from relative to relative. And sometimes his mom would come back for a period of time. He was the breadwinner for his mother and grandmother when he was 16 years old. They pulled him out of high school and put him to work. Growing up with um, teenage parents, it it wasn't easy. I, I feel like they did their best. My mom was a really good mom. She did, though, blind herself to a lot, was go- a lot of what was going on in our family. I think because she didn't want to be a failure if she left my dad. And also, she was afraid of my dad. We all were. He was, he was very controlling and um, down to what you wear, who you play with, what you do. As far as activities with school, um, he told me that I wasn't smart enough to go to college and so I should be an artist. And I found myself at 18 in an art school that I had no business being in. I have some talent, but not the talent that these people I was going to school with had. And that was... um, It was a really hard pill to swallow at 18. I had a really hard time getting getting myself to accept that what I really wanted to do was work with children and be a teacher. And I do teach preschool now, which I love. My dad used to say to me, 
people who can do and people who can't teach. And that kind of will show his mindset. It's a, that's a horrible thing to say. People who teach are, do, are you know, doing something wonderful with their lives. They're teaching. Teaching is wonderful. But even teaching wasn't what Allison really wanted to do. Actually, when I was young, what I really wanted to do was be a mom who took her kids to the pool, because that's what my mom was. And um, it was a very fun life. I just wanted to be a mom and a wife. And I said that once to somebody when we were doing some project in fourth grade and the teacher's response was horror. No, you have to want to be something. And um, apparently a mom who takes her kids to the pool is not something. So I came up with teacher and I carried that for quite some time. But for some reason, my dad didn't find that acceptable. He he was very much about appearances, and I, I don't know why, but he didn't want to show off his daughter, the teacher. He needed something more. What Allison came to realize was that more was not about her. It was about him. Well, my dad taught me to keep secrets, which was very unfortunate. It's things that I had a really hard time facing and um, really wasn't even able to talk about with anybody until after his death. He, he would use me as like a front to, to meet other women. Um, there was a lot of infidelity on his part in, early in my parents' marriage. He would um, frame it as a play date, and I picked up early that these play dates weren't okay especially when my dad was telling me, don't tell your mom that you played with this little girl. Um, one of the biggest challenges of being parented by him was that he did not want me to embarrass the family. Um, I'm a slightly cross-eyed kids with kid. I was a slightly cross-eyed kid with Tourette's. I'm going to embarrass the family. That's just how it is. I tick and I look funny. Um, actually, I had wonderful surgeons. I don't look funny anymore. But Allison's childhood trauma didn't come just from her dad. There were other sources as well. I, I, was, I was sexually abused by a neighbor. And um, when I told my dad, he was very angry. But he wasn't as angry at the neighbor. He was more angry at me because I think he found that embarrassing. Don't embarrass this family, that was, that was his mantra. And don't tell your mom, that was his other mantra. I never knew what I was gonna get from my dad. Was I gonna get a trip to the mall and a new pair of jeans? Or was I gonna get him screaming, red-faced, vein-throbbing because I was hanging out with somebody that he didn't approve of or wearing something that he thought might embarrass the family or, worst of all, heavier than he thought one of his girls should be. My dad would give me pornography 
to show me how I should look. Of course, all of this had a profound impact on Allison. I always felt on the outside as a kid growing up because I knew things about adult relationships and I saw things, I saw adult material that I shouldn't have seen, and also I was molested by a neighbor. So I felt other. I didn't want anybody to know what I'd been through. I internalized it and assumed that it was my fault, that everything had happened to me because I was somehow bad. But all the trouble in her life didn't keep Allison from dreaming of something better. I remember there was this really nice group of girls and their families all went to church. And I wanted to be part of that group. And I wanted to be a family that went to church. My um, parents occasionally would take us to churches. The first one that I remember going to was one that my dad's boss wanted us to go to in Decatur, Illinois, where I was born. It was a really nice environment, and I had a lot of fun there. Then we moved up here to Minnesota and um, ended up visiting his new boss's Lutheran church a couple of times. It didn't stick. We didn't continue going. Um, But I loved my time at church that I did have. And I really wanted to be part of this group of girls that their, their families went to church and they just did things together and they seemed pretty happy. And my family was not happy at all. My family was, we were always on eggshells. So I wanted to be part of that, but I didn't feel like I was good enough for it. So I hung out with a group of kids that mocked those girls. My parents went from having church be something that you do for appearances to my mom actually being a very vocal atheist and my dad kind of teetering between atheist and agnostic. But I internalized it all into thinking that I just wasn't good enough for anything. So I started treating myself like I wasn't good enough for anything. It was at that point that Allison turned to alcohol to cope with life. I got drunk for the first time when I was two years old. My family was very cavalier uh, about alcohol. And um, there's a lot of drinking in my family. I'm not equipped to diagnose other people, but I would say that my family is full of a lot of high-functioning alcoholics. And I I myself thought that I was a high-functioning alcoholic until I got sober and looked back and thought, oh my gosh, that's not very good. What's going on in your life is, is actually really a mess. So having such an early start to alcoholism, you would think that I just drank the whole time that I was alive, but that's not really how it worked. I would drink when I had an opportunity, when I could get a hold of alcohol. And then I 
came to the conclusion that once I started drinking, I couldn't stop. So I was very, very careful during my high school years as a young adult, just not, just to stay away from it. Because I knew that if I took a drink, I wasn't going to be able to stop drinking. And that's just how it works in my body. I have a feeling that that is what would happen if I were to take a drink today. If I were to have a glass of wine, I don't think I'd be able to stop. So I'm not going to even experiment with that. I tried therapy a few times, but I couldn't really completely tell the story to any of my therapists because it just felt so wrong to have your dad treat you that way. But looking back, Allison realizes that God was pursuing her the whole time. And he did it through some means that she didn't expect. God kept putting into my life faithful women. I um, went to art school, and, and there were three women in that school who knew I was really struggling emotionally, with school, financially, I had all these struggles. And one of them gave me a Bible called The Way. And they would take me to lunch. They would talk to me about how different my life could be if I had Christ in it. And I didn't follow their direction, but I didn't mock them either. And I was really grateful to have this attention from these older women that was so pure and the motivation was nothing but wanting to help me. I hadn't experienced that much in my life where somebody wants to just help me and they want nothing from me. And that was amazing. I also look back on how many difficult and dangerous situations I put myself in or was put in, and um, I came out of it okay. For some reason, God wants me to be here. Then I met my husband, who's a wonderful human being, and... Um, I did things that were totally out of character for me because I wanted to be with him. Um, just like basically asking him out for coffee, which I never would have asked somebody like him out for coffee because he's a really good person and I didn't hang out with really good people. I, um, I had a string of really awful boyfriends. So, um... That was, that was kind of, I, I call that my uh, last cookie moment. You know how in Minnesota, nobody wants to eat the last cookie? 
Um, and I, I certainly, to this day, would never eat the last cookie. I always felt like um, my asking Tom if he wanted to get coffee was my version of eating the last cookie. I'm super glad that I did because uh, we were coming up on 28 years of marriage and we have two just fantastic kids. But Allison found that having a great spouse and family, and by many accounts, an ideal life, wasn't the magic cure-all. She still needed to deal with her stuff. We moved to St. Anthony for the school district. Uh, We had this just wonderful life, but I never felt comfortable socially. And um, drinking boxed wine is super acceptable in society for, um, for moms. Uh, It's referred to as mommy juice. I've seen um, women walking around with wine-filled sippy cups. Everybody I knew drank, and so my drinking's really ramped up. I mean, I had a few binges between, between art school and meeting Tom. And even one binge with Tom, which I, I'm surprised he didn't see as a huge red flag. But I really, really didn't amp up the, the drinking until the kids were four and six. And that, that's a hard thing for me because I did spend a lot of their childhood um, drunk. I, I had rules, you know, I, I wouldn't start until five o'clock when I was, drink, when I was cooking dinner. But that, that's, that's no different than somebody who starts drinking at seven in the morning. Drinking is drinking. It's never good. Life continued on this way until she got to the point that many people experience, rock bottom. That's when she realized something needed to change. I didn't like the taste of wine, but I liked the fact that it numbed all my negative feelings and I just did not feel like I deserved the life that I had. I did not feel like I was ever going to have the approval of my mom and dad, which I'm not, and that's fine. I don't need their approval. I can still honor them and love them. I was going to bed and wishing that I wouldn't wake up. I wanted to die, but I didn't want to commit suicide because of the havoc that would wreak on my family and the the idea that I would be making a decision that's not mine to make, but I didn't want to live anymore. I woke up one morning and I had a hangover. I was still able to run 10 miles that day, even with a hangover, because um, I don't know, I guess I'm just very physically resilient. And as I was running and I was thinking, I don't want to be alive anymore. And that is so wrong. I have everything in the world to live for. I have just a wonderful family and the world's beautiful. And there's there's so much that I, I need to be thankful for and so much I want to do.
So that was, I woke up on a Saturday morning. It, uh, it was January 25th. And it's all, it was also my grandmother's birthday, and I was thinking about her. And I went home, and I said to my husband, I got home from my run, and I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to go to an AA meeting on Monday. Because I knew enough to know that I could find an AA meeting easily. And he said, yeah, I've been thinking that too. Even when we make a decision to change, there are still hurdles we often need to get over. For Allison, it was the question of what would happen if someone finds out. I got through Saturday, didn't drink, got through Sunday, didn't drink, got to Monday at 7 o'clock, got into my first AA meeting. I was a nervous wreck. As a preschool teacher, everyone in the neighborhood knew me. I thought, oh my gosh, someone's going to see me and and this is going to ruin my life. And then, of course, one of my preschool dads, father of one of my students, walks in, saw me, and he's just, he just this huge smile broke out on his face. And he says, is this your first meeting? And I said, yes. And he gave me a big hug. And he said, let me introduce you to some women I want you to meet. And um, it dawned on me that he was at that meeting because he's an alcoholic too. And so I didn't need to worry about meeting somebody at an AA meeting. And I've stayed, I've stayed in AA I don't think it's the only way to get sober. I think there's multiple ways to get sober. Sometimes I feel like it holds me back a little bit because I can't completely share my faith. We're not affiliated with any sect, denomination. We have high, we say we have a higher power, but we're not supposed to get too much into religion because we really just want to get people sober. So I do I do attend one Zoom meeting a week and and I have a lot of really good friends. In AA, I do find that the ones that I've become closest to are also Christians. And that has been that has been wonderful for me. Most alcoholics are very self-centered. I know I was, even though my, and I I still am actually, uh, I tend to think that everything that happens that is bad happened because of me and my existence. I grew up hearing that if I told my mom things that my dad was doing, I would destroy the family. So as a a five-year-old, I thought that I had the power to destroy my family. So obviously as a 35-year-old, I could believe that I had the power to destroy the world. So very narcissistic in the worst possible way. See, you have to let go of believing you're the center of the universe and that um, you can control everything and everybody about you. You have to give everything up to God. I just want to tell people, give it to God. Give it to Christ. That's going to help. Just like in Christian discipleship, AA teaches that we cannot thrive when we have unresolved relationships. In fact, our willingness to ask forgiveness for harm that we've done or forgive those who have wronged us can bring healing and freedom. As she was going through AA, Allison knew there was one big relationship she had to resolve. 
Well, I knew before I got sober that I had to let go of being so mad at my dad and blaming him for every bad thing that happened in my life. Um, there comes a point where no matter what you've been through, you do become an adult and you start making your own decisions and you, you, you just have to take responsibility for them. Shortly after I got sober, my dad was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. He almost lived seven years, which is, or five years, excuse me, sorry. He almost lived five years, which is amazing. Being in a program where I learned how to forgive and let go of resentments, make amends to people, enabled me to be there during my dad's illness, during the bad times, during the good times. It enabled me to help my mom. It enabled me to honor my parents. You now, letting go of resentments and forgiving doesn't mean that you completely forget. My children were not alone with my dad until they were old enough to, well, until they were almost adults. They really spent very little time with my dad. They spent a lot of time with their grand, their, both their grandmothers and their, pater, their paternal grandfather. But I was very careful about how much time they spent with my dad because I didn't want them to experience the kind of abuse that I had experienced. So it wasn't about forgetting, but it was definitely about forgiving and understanding that he was raised, he had a very difficult childhood. He was raised by people who didn't have his best interest at heart. And even though he perhaps didn't have my best interest at heart often, he tried harder. imagine dying without faith. I, just thinking that there's nothing afterwards or not having any idea of what there's going to be, it, it was hard for him. And I'm just so glad that I was able to, to be there and be support for my mom and to be with the rest of my family while they were there. I'm glad that being sober enabled me to have that instead of just being mad at him for what he had done to me. It allowed, it allowed his last um, few years to not be about me. I have hope that my relationship with my mom can be better. I pray for her every day. I pray that she can accept Christ, that she can have God in her life. And I'm never going to stop praying for that because I know there were people who never stopped praying for that for me. Even with her relationship with her dad well on the path to healing, there were other areas of her life that Allison needed to deal with. And while she had dismissed therapy earlier, she decided to give it another shot. This time, there was an added bonus. The therapist was a believer. I started shortly after my dad died with the therapist. I wasn't looking for a therapist that um, was Christian, but one landed in my lap. 
And I'm really grateful for that. I think that was God, again, in my life. I, not just from my childhood, but also from being an alcoholic and being in non-safe situations, I had experienced a lot of trauma. I thought I had anxiety, but after a couple sessions with her and some assessments, she said, well, yeah, you're a little anxious, but what you really have is complex PTSD, and um, it's time for us to find out why. I ended up telling her everything that had happened to me, and she didn't blink. I thought for sure if I told somebody the things that had happened to me, that they would judge me, that I would be that other. Oh, that person that has been abused. and It's hard to explain unless you've been there, but nobody wants to be the little girl who was abused. But looking back, Allison can see that all throughout her life, God pursued her through other people. Whether it was Christian teachers who took an interest in her, a loving husband, or a Christian therapist, God always seemed to put someone in her path just when she needed them. He keeps putting people in my life that that give me options. Hey, why don't you try this? Or why don't you think about this? Why don't we look at it this way? All these people just, I don't go looking for these people. I mean, I did go looking for a therapist, but I didn't look for a Christian therapist because there was a tiny little bit of me that was afraid that um, if I looked for a Christian therapist, I would get like Dana Carvey, the um, church lady. And, and she would look at me and go, well, hello, sinner. But God knew I needed a, um, a therapist who was also a faithful believer in Christ. And that that was talked about in our um, therapy, which I'm sure that doesn't become part of the conversation with every patient she has. But she knew that that would be best for me. It was very intense. It was an 18-month intensive um, time, and it was exhausting. And I would say if anybody is in therapy or is thinking about it, to understand that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better if you start to look at trauma. And that um, you, should, you, you, you should stick with it if, it's getting, if you're feeling worse for a while because it just you do feel worse before you feel better. Counselors often talk about the scripts that influence or even control how we live. These scripts come from the messages that we've been taught, acted out, or reinforced throughout our lives that tell us who we are. And most of us live out these scripts without even realizing it. You're not smart enough. Your physical attractiveness is what really matters. God could never love someone like you. And so the goal for counseling, then, is to identify the faults and harmful scripts and replace them with new and healthy ones. For Christian counselors, the goal is to replace these ungodly lies with the truth about what God says about you. 
And that's where Allison's process began. She taught me some new scripts because I definitely had the script of, and my dad told me I wasn't smart enough for college. And I actually did enroll in um, a junior college and I took a nine month course to um, do early childhood education and ended up getting straight A's. And I think had I not been afraid of going into massive debt, I could have kept that up for four years and gotten a four-year degree. I don't regret not getting a four-year degree, but obviously I wasn't too dumb for college because I did well in the few classes that I did take. She helped me to look in the mirror and tell myself that the things my dad did had nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing. Wrong place, wrong time. It wasn't about me. He didn't do these things to me because of who I was. He did these things to me because he had predatory behavior, and um, he he was able to read me, and he knew that um, I'd be good at keeping secrets. One of the first sermons I heard here was Pastor Corey talking about how we all have incalculable value. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want everybody to know that. I need to remind myself of that every day. While we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that when we come to Jesus, everything will suddenly get better, the truth is that change often takes a lot of deep discipleship. Allison had been a believer for a while, but it wasn't until she started dealing with her stuff that her relationship with God began to thrive. She got sober, she let go of hurt and anger toward her father, and began to replace the negative script she'd learned all her life with the gospel that Jesus loved her and wanted to bring healing and wholeness. And it was out of this work that God began to change her whole outlook. I noticed things like one day it was really cold out and I went running because I, I am addicted to running and I'm not giving it up probably. It was about 20 below and I um, have good gear, so I didn't freeze to death, but I was pretty cold when I got in and I stepped into the shower and that hot water hit me and I was like, oh my gosh, indoor plumbing is the most amazing thing. And it really is. And I can look at something like that and say, that is crazy, amazing that we have indoor plumbing. I just feel like I have everything, everything I could possibly, um, I know I have everything I need. And I just sometimes think, how could I even want anything else? I wasn't like that before I got sober. I was just always looking at what other people had and wondering, well, why don't I have that? While Allison says she's grateful for the little things, it's one big thing that gets her the most. Sometimes I'm, I'm really just blown away by the fact that God sent his son here for us and that Jesus was a human for God as Jesus, a human, felt all the pain that I'm capable of feeling, 
probably had all the functions and all the all the feelings and still was able to be who he was and give so much. It's inspiring to me. But to know that God was willing to experience what we experience as humans. Sending Jesus here, that's that's how I know that God is truly a loving, gracious, just God. Knowing that God came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, is more than just an abstract doctrine for Allison. It actually gives her a healthy and godly perspective on sin and the life God calls her to lead. Because he can understand everything that's in our hearts. It's not just that he knows what's in our hearts, but he understands it. And he understands why we do the wrong thing. He's rooting for us to do the right thing. He's rooting for us not to sin. And so um, it, it helps me to not be super hard on myself in a um, destructive manner, but it also keeps me in line is that you don't really have any excuses for behaving badly because G- Jesus knows what's going on inside you and how you feel, and he knows what it's like to be human. He did it. So you don't really have any big excuses. While Allison certainly has had her share of hard times and is under no illusion that they won't continue to come, even in the middle of hardship and trials, the knowledge that God has been with her all this time and will continue to be with her gives her a peace that in the words of the Apostle Paul surpasses all understanding. I'm so happy. We've had some bad luck. Or no, not even luck. You know, we've had we've had challenging circumstances. Um, my marriage hasn't been perfect. Don't think it'll ever be perfect, which is good because that sounds really boring. But I've been happy through the hard times. We've been sandwiched between a child with some health issues and then sick parents, and yet still I'm happy. I'm just I'm just happy a lot. Well, we hope you've enjoyed getting to know Allison. These podcasts are a way for us to highlight different people in our church community and let them tell the story of how God has been working in their life. Hopefully you've learned something or been inspired or encouraged in your walk with Jesus. And as always, we'd love to hear from you with feedback or ideas for future episodes. Thanks for spending some time with us.